Hello and welcome to England on 99.94, the home of cricket audio. I'm Daniel Norcross, uh, commentator, occasional writer, uh, wibbler and winger, and uh, also host of Zero Ducks Given podcast, if you're interested. And I am joined, as I always am, and I'm very delighted to say, by Chief Cricket Correspondent of the Press Association, Rory Dollard. We are your home for all England content. We'll be right here several times every week discussing well, England. You can find us in your favourite podcast apps on YouTube or in our 99.94 app. Thanks for joining Cricket's Conversation. And today, well, in the aftermath of an extraordinary test match in many ways, we are going to talk about uh, the method. Are we in Ben Ball, not Baz Ball? We're going to talk about Ollie Robinson, his return after months away. And uh, what a great return it was. And finally, of course... Uh, we have to talk about the elephant in the room three times. We're talking about Ben Stokes, the batter, Ben Stokes, the bowler, and Ben Stokes, the captain. So quite a bit to fit in. Uh, Rory, let's begin with the approach, I guess. Just to, to fill everyone in, if you've been living under a rock somewhere, England overturned the uh, 1-0 deficit to make it one all from uh, from the first Test match, which they lost by an innings and 12 runs. And this Test match, they won by an innings and 81 runs. 85, perhaps. Something yeah. preposterous. 85, it might have been. Yeah, I think you're right. I think he's an 85 runs. Uh, and it was done at a fair lick, batted around about four and over, just under 3.8. So there were sort of hints of the uh, the method we've become used to. But they got ahead. They got ahead of South Africa early. And then they actually sort of ground them into the dust thanks to an absolutely fantastic record-breaking six-wicket partnership at Old Trafford between the two Ben Oakses, Ben Folks and Ben Stokes, and it was all a bit curious in that it was quite like familiar cricket breaking out, Rory. It was, it was. It's interesting, isn't it? That the the sort of the, the narrative shift is that last week they lost at Lords because they they went a bit too you know, the the, the Baz Ball experiment blew up in their face, some people would tell you, and that this week they reined it back. Well, last week they scored at three point six in defeat, and today they rein it back in and slam the brakes on and score at 4.1. <laughs> so it, it's, it, it's not, you know, sometimes you need to sort of interrogate the whole matter a little bit more uh, quietly. And actually what they did do is they just played sensible with the bat in, you know, with the bat in hand, they played sensible cricket, which meant when the time was there for them to stick in the game and blunt and block and absorb and do all those things that their assistant coach Paul Collingwood made a career out of. Uh, they, they did it. They just they just did it. They didn't they didn't feel. And I think the best thing about how they played and Ben Stokes after the match called it a benchmark performance for his side. And I thought that was an excellent choice of words because what came before wasn't something that they could expect to hang their hat on. Uh, and, you know, the idea that they would always chase down the best part of four hundred in the fourth innings was lovely and it was a nice fantasy to live in for a while, but it wasn't anything like sustainable or real life. So to see them manage a game of cricket in a bit more of a sober fashion was really quite encouraging because it meant, I suppose it meant that Basball is a button they can press in the future, but it's not, it's not their only gear. Uh, it, it, it's a mindset they can choose to live into. And actually, Stokes' innings uh, really was the 
the metric of that, wasn't it? Because he made a really solid, it might have been his slowest 50, I think. I think it might have been his slowest half century for England. Took a, took a, took a hundred, 101 well, balls. Well, I, I, possibly, I think the one at Headingley yeah, probably beat that because his yeah. first two runs came in, in about 70 <laughs> yeah. balls or something ridiculous. But, but, but you know, yeah, but a, no, pretty, like, a, pretty, you, a pretty workman-like grafter's mm. innings for his 50. And then he scored his next 50 off 50, near enough a run a ball. And he, he started hitting the stands. Yeah. Yes, I mean, I, th- I think we've got to go back a little bit before that partnership to see how um, the method slightly changed, which was that when England were three down, having bowled South Africa out for a very modest total of 151 and having spent an inordinate amount of this summer talking about how the balls dramatically change in uh, behaviour after 40 overs. And it's so consistent, it's really bizarre just watching the stats watching the speeds of the ball off the pitch actually after 40 overs, it's almost like these balls are all exactly the same, but they all behave um, really quite nicely to start with. And then at 40 overs, they, they go on a huff and say, no, we're not, we're not playing ball. And what they had done in the past when they found themselves up against quite a small total against New Zealand at Lords, they bowled them out quite cheaply and then went out to bat themselves. When they lost a few wickets, they went hard at it. Stokes went really hard in that innings at Lords. What was different here was that at 41 for three, I think it was, uh, Crawley and Bairstow came together. And Crawley, despite what we've been told about, you know, impact player, we're not expecting him to be consistent. He batted like somebody who was trying to prove his credentials as a consistent opener. And his partnership with Bairstow, uh, Crawley made 38 off of 102 balls. First time he's faced over 100 balls since his century, um, and Bairstow's 49, which was done at a decent lick with occasional bits of counter-attacking, but it wasn't very rash, that took the ball deep so that when they lost the two of them, uh, one after the other quite quickly, the ball was 36 overs old when Folks and Stokes came mm. together. So the task, I think, became a bit more clear, didn't it? It was, if we dig in, for 15 overs, I mean, actually five, but if you dig in for 15 yeah. overs and you're in, then it's devilishly difficult for the South African pace attack to get anything out of it. And because we saw that that uh, that pattern actually replicated when England came to bowl. And I thought it was a fascinating um, contrast between the two styles of play. The, the way that England would have approached South Africa's predicament would have been a little bit the way they approached their second innings um, in the first test. At Lords, and it could have come unstuck, but New Zealand, South Africa didn't give themselves a chance by padding up and, and and just patting Jack Leach back to the bowler for fifteen overs for sixteen runs at the time when the ball was soft. Keegan Peterson, I think, missed a massive trick, and he needed to counterattack because if you stick in at one one and a half and over, the second new ball comes round and you're still miles behind. Whereas I think the England approach would have been to have a go, and had they failed then they would have lost. Yeah. Um, had they had they gone at one and a half and over, they know they would have lost anyway because then they'd have been facing yeah. the might of Norkia and Rabada with a new ball. But the, I suppose the, 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 the change of pace, the, the shift in tone was, the Crawley innings was two, was two separate parts really. You know, you said he scored 100, uh, 38 of 100 and whatever balls, but actually the, it was the 17 runs in 77 balls. On day yes. one, the, the, what happened the next morning was really by the by. To be honest, he got he was worked over a wee bit, and he didn't look like really going on to a big one. But he just he just hung in, and he got a lot of praise from that for England. So I think the idea 
that had started to form that he would be told to just keep on driving, keep on swinging, baby, and we'll never tell you off. It was his his message was actually not work. That isn't working. And, and Stokes did say, for all the fact that at the end of Lords he said, "I'll tell you what we did wrong here. We didn't go hard enough, and we're going to look at that." They worked out really quickly, and he said that we just worked out that wasn't a pitch to do that. And I suppose <laughs> I was thinking about it. And if if sort of those first four tests of the summer were like a bit of a holiday fling, when you're somewhere, you're somewhere, you're meeting somebody new in some hot, lovely island somewhere, and it's all pina coladas. That's kind of what those first four tests where's this, were. Where's this going, Rory? Fl- where's this going? It was, all, this it going? was all flirty fun, wasn't it? And it was all lovely for the first four tests. And then this weekend was them finding out that they could have a nice time together playing board games in a caravan. That's where it's going. <laughs> and and, well, and maybe, yes, and maybe I, I, it's I, a relationship I, that's got legs. <laughs> well, maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, we, we need to have some, some words, I think, about uh, Ben Folks because he, he hasn't had... I mean, look, he, he starred in the first Test match victory at Lords in that partnership with Root against New Zealand when... Uh, which has sort of kicked off this whole revolution. When England actually only went to about three and a half runs and over, but it, it seemed unusually speedy in large part because folks went incredibly slowly in that partnership with Root mm. that got England over the line. Uh, in this occasion, his partnership with Stokes, he, he actually started, I'm not going to say the more aggressive, but the more fluent. And um, he got that partnership going at a time when it could have been a bit stodgy because Stokes was struggling to find his uh, to, to find his range, really. And I know that we've said it already, the ball was 40 overs old and beyond and had gone soft, but it's nonetheless, it was a very impressive innings because he then ended up facing the second new ball. Incidentally, only the second time this summer yeah. that England have faced oh, wow. a second new ball. The only other time was when they were on the road at Trent Bridge, um, uh, replying to 550-odd by New Zealand. Every other innings has been done and dusted within 80 overs. Uh, so he ended up having to face second new ball, and I think that's going to help give him an enormous confidence, isn't it? It's his, yeah. only his second uh, test century, and he got his first on debut. Uh, yeah, and I think we can... It's only a few days since we did a podcast and we uh, and we floated whether there was a, a sort of a horses-for-courses situation where you could ease folks out the team not permanently, but at some point to get Harry Brook in, forget it. That's gone. There's no chance. <laughs> ben Stokes speaking yep. to him at the, at the post-match here. It's not, he wasn't, it wasn't a case that he was pumping up folks' tires when he was speaking about him earlier in the summer. He de- he is all in on this guy and he's going nowhere. He, he is absolutely locked in Ben Stokes' team. I'm quite sure of that. Um, and, it, and it's interesting as well, isn't it? That he spent a long time, Ben Folks out the team because everyone knew he was a fantastic gloveman, but you know we really had to gamble on Josh Butler's quality with the bat, and he played fifty-seven tests, got two centuries. Ben Fawkes is sitting on two centuries after what sixteen? Yes, yes, and, and the reason why we're thinking about people like uh, Josh Butler is because of the impact that they could make. So we were sort of anticipating Baz Ball with mm. Josh Butler on the side before Baz Ball had been invented. It's it, it's very curious how these things come about. Anyway, um, it's. It was a stomping win. It was an extraordinary win. And it was, well, let's put it this way. It, it's the, the marvels of Test cricket that one minute England had been completely found out by a vastly superior attack. Man top of the world man, Test Championship. Top of, the, top of the world. South Africa are going somewhere and England are you know, going to find trouble. And then before you know it, 
Dean Elgar has got all the headaches. Yeah. As a coda to that, I'd just say, you know, sorry, but I mean, I mean, we could talk it in circles as long as we want. They picked the wrong team and they balls up the toss. That's also what happened this week. Well, that's absolutely <laughs> true. Where was Marco Janssen and why on earth, having bowled under slate grey skies yeah. at Lords and it really worked, wouldn't you do the same thing at heading me in very similar, at Old Trafford, very similar circumstances, very, very similar muggy weather. Now, 99.94 is more than just this podcast. Jared Kimber has Red Inca. That focuses on deep cricket topics from the global game. There's also Double Century, a look at the history of the game. There are many other podcasts. Go over and listen to the West Indies on 99.94 uh, podcast. That's a podcast for cricket's best Caribbean coverage. Listen to India on 99.94. A considered analysis from two professionals. England on 99.94 has the north and south of the game covered with me and Rory. South Africa on 99.94 is looking at the radically changing nature of cricket in the Rainbow Nation. Find them all in our podcast apps on YouTube or via the 99.94 app. Now, the second part of today's offering, we need to have a look at Ollie Robinson. We need to talk about this man because uh, he's out of the side, uh, effectively out of the side since the ashes, really. Um, He looked terribly unfit towards the back end. He got appalling criticism Actually, for the way he got out at Hobart, yeah. it was almost like, with England, with the game absolutely done and dusted, and he's the 10th wicket to fall. England haven't got a prayer in the game, but the picture of him with one foot in Hobart International Airport and his bat waving yeah. in the forlorn direction of a ball that he was nowhere near seemed to be emblematic like a dirty of protest, England's didn't it? ashes. It did. Yeah, it was like, a, and it was about, it was a capitulation. It was horrible. But it also, people, I think, got it into their head that this showed that. Robinson needed to be reformed um, despite being the standout bowler for England last summer and despite giving England a point of difference. I mean, there's a second tallest, well, second highest release point in world cricket behind Carl Jameson, um, a great exponent of wobble seam, but people were getting on his back. His speeds were down. He didn't look necessarily as trim as other fast mm-hmm. bowlers do. Well, he came back with a bang after Matthew Potts had a, a pretty awkward time at Lord's. Potts looked a little bit scratchy. In comes Robinson. On the money straight away. He was the best bowler in that first inning. He's only got one for 40-odd. But he was beating the bat time and time again. He got his rewards in the second innings. Uh, terrific with the new ball. He was metronomically accurate, just as Potts had been, actually, when he first came into the side for the first four, four test matches. Uh, it... it it's lovely to watch, isn't it? And crucially, the speeds. I mean, we even when Robinson was taking those wickets in his first summer, he was not bowling at 86 miles an hour. Yeah, I think it's hard to underestimate the question marks that were over this guy in the last six months, seven months since he played at Hobart. It's very highly unusual for a, a member of the England coaching staff to come out and, and bury someone, really, and... I guess give them the electric shock treatment in 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 public, not behind closed doors, and that's what John Lewis did. Uh, the bowling coach came out and and told to the cameras, "This guy is not fit enough, and it's not good enough really for Test cricket or for our standards." And in a team that has the standards set by Jimmy Anderson and Stuart Broad on fitness, dedication, that stuff, professionalism, it was a pretty big black mark against him. He then got the chance in the West Indies to lead the attack with those two guys sitting at home, pretty miffed about it. And he got back spasms. And that's a bit, you know, that, that rings alarm bells. And he, and he was supposedly going to be fit for the second test, wasn't. He was going to pit for the third test, wasn't. 
And he, and he was doing these lunchtime walks with the physio around the grounds in the West Indies. And he looked hangdog. And, and for all the class and quality and skill that he showed with the ball last summer, he looked like a guy who might not be cut out for test cricket. And it, and it might not happen for him. It really did look like that. And then, you know, he had a disrupted start to this summer. Matthew Potts steals his breakfast by, by doing what he'd done last year. <laughs> and I think people were really questioning it. But it, so it turns out, Ben Stokes had had a bit of a chat with him and we could probably talk about that when we talk about Ben's captaincy a bit more. But he, he laid it on the line for him. Uh, the relationship with John Lewis is better than people maybe realise because they knew each other from Sussex. And that was maybe a bit of tough love when he did that. And Ollie Robinson has worked hard. He's doubled down. He's impressed Ben Stokes with his fitness work and his, and that's not easily done. Um, mm. And And he's come back and bowled really, really nicely, finished the game off in style. He's got a smile on his face, and I didn't know I'd see a smile on his face again no. when he was, you know, he looked pretty grumpy with his lot when I saw him pacing around, getting his 10,000 steps in in Grenada. Uh, and, and now he, there's no reason to think that England don't have a player for the long term here. And we spoke to him after the match, a couple of us, and he was he, he owned it pretty much. And it's not easy done. These are things people, professional athletes, don't like to talk about, least of all with a bunch of unfit journalists. But, <laughs> but he, you know, he said he said I had a bit to do. I really did, and I acknowledged that, and I understood that, and I've done it. Uh, and he, he, he described himself as a, you know, a gym gym freak in the making. He said, you know, he said I've started to. Ooh. He said, "I've started to enjoy. He said, "I've it. started to enjoy it and look forward to it. Uh, you know, and realise that this is a positive in my life. And importantly, he also said, and I'm well aware that this journey isn't over, and I've got to do more and get stronger and fitter to to be bowling at 35, 36 like Stuart Broad and Jimmy Anderson are. So, loads of positives there. And with that height, with that bounce he gets, with the sort of delicate skills that he has that that maybe someone like Philander or Abbas who, who got the ball to work for them when there was not a lot in it and when there wasn't much pace coming through he could be a real important ball for England in these next years to come so it, it's a bit of a win this because we he, there was a chance that we were losing Ollie Robinson as an option and he's come back he's smiling he's bowling well and his body's holding up so good news I mean, for people who who don't aren't really aware of him, what, what his most potent threat is really is his incredible control of seam and length, and with the height, it we saw it with the new ball. The extra bounce surprises the batter because it's not coming particularly fast, even when he's bowling at eighty four, eighty five, eighty six. You know, these batters are used to, uh, especially the South Africans, they're used to facing Norkir and Rabada and Gidi in the net, so. It's not the pace itself, it's the lateness of that movement. Because he hits the seam so often, it forces batters to make choices in a very, very much smaller amount of time after the ball pitches. And it's quite reminiscent, actually, of Glenn McGrath. I mean, you're not going to put him in that category because Glenn McGrath is one of the greatest bowlers of all time, took 560-odd wickets. But it's that's what his weapon is. His weapon isn't extravagant swing. His weapon isn't an extravagant pace. It's just a relentlessness and a variation. And of course, the wobble seam is a terrific exponent of the mm. wobble seam. But I just want to put something out there, and I don't know whether this is true, but because um, there are plenty of incredibly fit county cricketers out there, but the county grind, which Ollie Robinson had been on, uh, 
He's a late developer. Came into the well, I'd say late developer. He was a late pick. He was twenty-seven when it, was he not when he was picked? Um, he had played his cricket in county cricket, and there's a lot of matches you play in county cricket. A lot of four-day games, and I don't know how much opportunity there was for him to work on his fitness. I put that another way: there would be opportunity, but how much motivation there would have been to work on his fitness because he was bashing out the wickets, bashing out the lines and lengths. Happily taking wickets at 78, 79 miles an well, hour. Well, this is the thing. And in a strange kind of way, um, being in the international setup has given him the chance because he can see from working alongside people like Ben Stokes, Jimmy Anderson, Joe Root, you know, but especially the bowlers, Jack Leach. I mean, Jack Leach works so hard in his fitness. And I imagine, you know, first, you get the opportunity to work on that a lot more <laughs> because you've got a lot of time off between games. And secondly, there's the shame of it, isn't there? <laughs> We've all got to take our clothes off in a changing room and you're looking around and you go, bloody hell, Jack Leach is ripped. <laughs> and your self-perception you don't have to is do it in the that press you're box, bigger though, and stronger that, Taking your clothes off in the press box, that's, per, that's personal preference on your part, that. Yeah, well, I, I, it's when I see you, I become so extraordinarily warm. I, I can't explain what I would, it. Listen, what I would say with Ollie as well, though, is probably he, he encountered a problem that he hadn't before because those spells where he drops to 73, 4, 72 miles an hour that yeah. he was doing in the ashes, he'd probably get away with that in county cricket. And the pitches maybe yeah. give him just enough to hide those spells. Figures look nice. Speed guns aren't out everywhere. And he comes to international cricket, he comes to test cricket, he comes to Ashes cricket, and that isn't going to work. He's got to be up there at his top speed all the time. So it's, it was probably a bit of a cold mm. sort of slap in the face for him, really. And he's, he's re- reacted really nicely. He has. And, you know, fair play, because he's also operating with an absolutely miserable ball <laughs> once it gets over 40 overs. So it was even more important that he did that work. Anyway, we shall move on. If you love cricket and want to hear more, well head over to the 99.94 app. You can hear all our podcasts and also our commentary. We are the home of Cricket Audio Online, where we're adding new shows and covering series. And the best way to follow us is via our app or on social media at 99.94DM. Welcome to Cricket's Conversation. Now, the third and last part of today's programme, we have to talk about Ben Stokes. Batting, bowling, captaining. I want to kick off with that 14-over spell because... There were so many mad things about it, right? But I believe one of the greatest spells of fast bowling I've ever encountered took place in the Jubilee Test of 1980, when Ian Botham in Mumbai, Bombay as was, it's not a, it's not a cool place <laughs> necessarily, bowled 26 and a half overs from memory, unchanged from the beginning of the innings to the end, and he didn't stop bowling until India were bowled out. Now, Ben Stokes has bowled the three longest spells of anybody in this country in the last 10 years who's a, who's a seam bowler, anybody who, who counts as, yeah. a, as a quick or seam bowler. 14 overs. I know there were 20 minutes of tea, so he had a, a moderate breather. He was, he was probably on an exercise bike at tea. There's no, you know, he wouldn't, he'd have been doing yeah, chin-ups probably. or something. Well, he couldn't, he couldn't have allowed the knee to seize up apart from anything else. It jarred the knee when he was batting, more of which we'll talk about shortly. But then with what must have been, what, 28 overs to go until a second new ball was available, instead of doing what he has done on other occasions, what certainly what other England captains would definitely do in that situation, which is burgle seven or eight overs from Root, get a load of overs in from Leach, maybe bowl five or six yourself. He just took the ball, saw that it was reverse swinging. He spoke to me at the end of 
play yesterday and said, you know, I spoke to Joe Root. I always speak to Joe Root to find out when he thinks the ball's reversing. And, uh, you know, I timed my arrival into the attack to do that grunt work. I wanted to make sure that Robinson and Anderson were as fit as firing and and ready for it as humanly possible when the second new ball became available. And he bowled the ugly, nasty overs. I promise you, with this ball, overs 52 to 80, no one wants mm. to bowl with that. I mean, Jack Leach doesn't want to bowl with it, even on a turning track, because there's no pace to work yeah. with. The, the ball is just not turning. It's not gripping. Yeah. So what does he do? He just thunders in over after over. And and I was on commentary and I kept on, I was on highlights. I kept on teeing up the end of his over and say, at the end of his 10th over, I'd say his spell, the spell yeah. 10 overs. He'll, he'll surely now come off and we'll we'll just have to see, I mean, Joe spin, Root's yeah. just going to have to see it out or Jack Leach through to the 80th over. And he's on again. Yeah. And, I'm, and I tee it up at the end of every over. And in the end, it's just, well, he's just going to bowl through to the 80th, isn't yeah. he? And what? Or what a mammoth, mammoth performance that was and to pick up the two wickets England were probably going to win that game anyway because of the way South Africa played but not just to break the partnership but then to bowl a snorter of a ball to get rid of the best ball you could bowl with that but with that old rag oh unbelievable it was I mean that absolutely flew speak to me Rory how is it possible there was two elements wasn't there really to the Stokes spell and one was it was really skillful it was just it was it was someone who has an ability with the ball to do that that reverse swing, but mix it with a bit of short stuff and a bit of uh, aggression. And, and he's the England bowler who can get up your nose a bit. But it was also the just the bloody-minded graft. And, and in England, you know, the country that cheers defenders for kicking the ball over the roof more than they do for springing, <laughs> springing an offside trap, we like it. And I think the fans loved seeing him gnarl and sweat and grimace through a really tough thing, just as much as they liked him. You know, he was, he was literally covered in dirt. Oh, he was filthy. He was yeah, I know. He's like, my, he's like my seven-year-old son after he's gone to the park to play footy. Oh, it was fantastic. You know, one body sort of fell over. And I thought, you know, no wonder you've fallen over. You're in like your 12th yeah, over of this spell. Great. What the hell are you doing, man? And he's landed in the dirt. And then he gets up. doesn't even dust himself down. He's just covered in dust yeah. and bits of grass. And and he's a uh, big breath. Back you go. Uh, you're right. It was, it was like, get the big man. It was, it was like all those, you know, the lions of Turin. <laughs> what he really needed was a sort of gash on his yeah. forehead and then it would have been complete. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, we're, we're already a week or so on from where we talked about Steve Harmison sounding the alarm for him bowling himself into retirement. Well, I mean, we're going to find out one way or the other because he's not mm. going to put himself in bubble wrap, is he? We're going to see those spells as and when he thinks they're required. I think we can get away without talking too much about the batting. I do, because we've kind of mentioned it at the top about how he went through two phases and that. And we know about his batting. It was his first hundred as captain. So it was important. And it was important that he didn't <laughs> didn't continually charge the seamers and get 15 uh, and put a sort of put a stop to that silliness because he's so good and he really he could he could have been a different life. Batted three for England for a hundred tests, never bowled a ball, and and average forty eight. I don't know, mm. you know, he's that good. So it was important yeah. that he didn't just be silly. But I think I think that we should talk about his captaincy. Really, just one last thing on his batting though. Um, he batted quite like he batted at Trent Bridge. 
And he didn't get to 100 that day because Bairstow went berserk. And I just wonder how much he jarred his knee very soon mm. after coming in, actually, when he took a run. 16, I think. Uh, yeah, and it was it was just just before noon because they took drinks. It was just before noon. He'd only been in for 20 minutes, half an hour or so on that uh, second day. And he jarred the knee. And just like he did at Trebridge after he jarred the knee, he, he I think it affected his mobility, obviously. So he was less inclined to come charging down, and it just kept him in his crease for that little while longer. Um, one other little factoid you might like, it's only the fifth time, if you exclude Alex Stewart, that a captain and a wicketkeeper for England have both scored 100. Right. Um, very famously, Not and uh, Alan Knott and Tony Gray did it in 1976. Les Ames did it with a captain I can't remember. Godfrey Evans did it with uh, Len Hutton. Pryor did it with Strauss. And now Stokes and folks go into uh, into folklore. Uh, but yes, let's move on to his captaincy because it was, I mean, a lot of it was him taking centre stage with bat, with ball, also in the field. But the tinkering in the field, I love it. I love, I love the fact he cannot go three balls without a change. And that's not a criticism. It's actually really entertaining to watch because we speculate all the time. I dare say you're doing it in the press box, in the commentary box, just turning and going, oh, there's been three forward defensive prods from yeah. Peterson. He's not going to lie that. He's going to need to change something. What, what do you reckon soon, he's yeah. going to do, Finney? You know? <laughs> yeah, do you know yeah. what I mean? It's, it's just, it, it, it's very entertaining. What did you make of it? Uh, yeah, I mean, he's always, you know, that must be, whether it's a McCullum influence or it's a Stokes thing that he's been sitting there prowling around for a few years thinking, why did, why did we keep, why do we have the same feel for six balls? How boring, you know, and whether he's got his hands on the wheel now. But I, I suppose, you know, the, the thing that I've been really impressed with as Stokes is, and it isn't something you would have been certain would have been part of his makeup as captain, but it's the soft skills. He went out of his way when he announced the team to drop Matthew Potts in a press conference. Didn't do it on the toss, did it the day before. And he gave him such a big rap. He said, you know, this, guy, this kid's gone from being a county bowler to part of the England team. He's not in the team this week, but he's in, you know, pumped his tyres up again. This guy's feeling, this, this guy's missing out on a test match and feeling great about himself. Good stuff. He gets hold of Ollie Robinson and he gives him the new ball. He doesn't, he, 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 yeah, sits, he yeah. sits Stuart Broad back because he's watched the Lions game. He knows that if he's going to get what he needs to get out of Ollie Robinson, it's going to be first up. So he, he, he gets, gets hold of Stuart Broad and asks him to not open the bowling. Well, that's what Stuart Broad does. He always opens the bowling. He has since 1800, you know, it, it's, yeah. and, and it works. Well, you know, and, and Stuart Broad, just, just, to, just to add to that, just to add to that, Rory, this, this was the first test match since 2009 at the Oval when Broad came on as the fifth bowler. Right. Now, in, in that game, famously, he ran through the Australians mm. and won, won the Ashes for England. But, that gives you an idea. Broad bowling as a fifth bowler, I, and the, and the funkiness of Joe Root opening the bowling first yeah. up on the third with a day. nine over and, ball, and it's all yeah with a nine overall ball because he wanted it to reverse quickly. I think is anything I can think of. We we thought it was an end change, but yeah. when Root bowled the second over, he's like, I see he's going to scuff it up a bit and get it to reverse. And yeah, exactly the way he you say pump the tires. He, he did it with folks. Yeah. He did that thing when he was ma- his player of the match, and he said it shouldn't have been yeah. me. Should have been folks. Um, the positivity when every I had to do a number of post match interviews, you know, for the for the highlights, and you you're sort of skirting around. You don't want to ask the inane question, which is, you know, what is Basball? What's changed? What's this and the other? 
But it, you, you come at it from different angles, and it's always how positive they all feel about anything yeah. that happens, about any decision that takes place on the field or off the field. And that's a hell of a skill to pull off. He, that's what I mean. He's a really, he appears to be a really instinctive, sympathetic captain. Like he seems to understand what his players need from him. And so he's, I think Matthew Potts will be better for being dropped this week because they did it the right way. I think Robinson's better for being brought back and given the new ball and not just taking his defined place in the pecking order. I, I wonder if Stuart Broad's better for, for being brought into the tent and been told he was part of this decision and like, you, you know, you're doing this for the team. He seemed happy about it. He was never stopped giving advice mm. at mid on. He was really, he wasn't demoted. He was given this new role and, and felt part of it. Stoke, mm. uh, Ben Fawkes, like you say, he's, he started to get a tune. It's a weird tune and it's a bit discordant out, out of Stuart Broad, the batter again. <laughs> For the first time in a million yeah. years, by yeah. by coming out with all this absolute flim flab about Nighthawk, <laughs> Night which Hawk. has never been used as a, he's never <laughs> been used in this fictional position yet. But Stuart Broad's, well, no one has. Rory, <laughs> no one's been using this. I, I, I interviewed I interviewed Broad the first day, and he was he had his pads yeah. on, and I said, so I, I, I say you're you were padded up with twenty five minutes to go, and I said, what was the thinking? He said, well, if we lost a fourth wicket, then we really would be behind so we would need to counter punch so my role would have then been to come in and try and slap 20 25 runs quickly to put south africa on the back foot and what if you got out what if you got out um uh, stewart says oh well jack leach was padded up to come in and be night watchman mm. if i got out so they were literally going to use him as a kind of shock tactic and that's brilliant isn't it with these sort of gambits he's getting he's getting stuff out of people he's turned Stuart Broad's descent as a batsman into a weird, perverse positive. Mm. And this is good. I mean, he just appears to be a really instinctive, natural, understanding captain who is getting the players that he wants to get the right things out of them. And that's why, who knows who they'll ask to play for them, whether Moin Ali will go to Pakistan, whether these people will ever get another chance, Liam Livingston, someone like that. But, geez, the way Stokes is carrying on, I feel like anything's up for grabs with these guys if they come in. What 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 we'll see out of them could be anything because he is getting these people to to do things that he that he wants them to do through his mm. handling of them. And I don't know if people realised that he was going to be such a sensitive captain. No, I think you're absolutely right. I think uh, what he's done is he's he's tapping into what people are good at and encouraging them to do that. And it, it, like any director, if you, if you ask. A director for notes, a really good director, will not tell you what you're bad at. He'll tell you what you're good at, or she, and uh, and encourage you to do more of the good things. Uh, we're going to leave it there for today. Thanks for listening to England Cricket on 99.94. Please do rate us, review, subscribe. You can download the 99.94 app from where you get your apps. And you can follow us personally on Twitter or Instagram on, in my case, at Norcross Cricket, as, as in neither angry nor cross. <laughs> Cricket, or at, go for it, Rory. The RVD. T-H-E-R-V-D. That's where you find me. We'll put links up for everything we do there on this podcast and beyond. Also, follow our network at 99.94 DM on social media. Remember, if you love cricket, then we are the home of Cricket Audio. Follow for podcasts and commentary from the bat and ball world. Thanks for joining Cricket's Conversation at 99.94. For now, goodbye. 
Thanks for listening to England on 99.94. Please rate, review and subscribe. You can download the 99.94 app from where you get your apps. And you can follow us personally on Twitter at Norcross Cricket and at the RVD, which is Rory's Twitter and Instagram. That's T-H-E-R-V-D. Of course, Rory was going to be difficult. We'll put links up for everything we do there. Remember, if you love cricket, then 99.94 is the home of cricket audio. Follow them for podcasts and commentary from the world of cricket. Have you ever wanted to know how to win a Formula One Grand Prix? I mean, really know. Know about the driver tactics from the cockpit, the strategy calls from the pit wall, and even the mind games in the paddock. There's a lot more that goes into winning a Grand Prix than just 90 minutes of racing. So every week on the F1 Strategy Report, we're taking a deep dive into the decisions that shape every result. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato, and every week I'm joined by an expert guest from the paddock to talk through the big calls that won the race and the missteps that resulted in bitter defeat. Before every race, we'll look back at the previous year's result and consult the current form guide, and we'll be in your feed after every Grand Prix, dissecting the outcome and what it means for the championship. So for your regular hit of Formula One analysis, subscribe to the F1 Strategy Report wherever you get your favourite podcasts. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast on the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name's Michael Laminato and I'll catch you after the chequered flag.